Hi guys, welcome back to Skincare Anarchy. This is your host, Ekta, and I'm so, so excited because I have someone who has so much experience and knowledge and insights into the industry today. So without further ado, I want to introduce you guys to Robin Tolkien Doyle, who is the founder um, of Charmed PR, but now the founder of Beautyology.com, which is brand new and super exciting. So welcome to the show, Robin. I am so excited that you're here. Um Hi, Ekta. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so appreciative and I'm so excited to be here. And uh, when you reached out, I was just thrilled. So thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much. I, you know, I really want to get started, Robin, because I know you are just, you know, so experienced. You're truly a veteran in the industry. And I want to know all about your career and your journey and the, you know, things you've done and that have really led to this point. So could you just do a deep dive for us into all of that? <laughs> um, I, I will do my best. I really, uh, let's and we see. have all the time in the world. So oh, really? Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, all I hope detail. you're comfortable now. <laughs> if at any point I hear snoring, I will know I need to move on. <laughs> oh my goodness. No, trust me. I'm very no, eager to learn. So yeah, no. Um, so yes. Yeah, so I have been, uh, running charmed PR, which is, you know, like you mentioned a, uh, it's a PR agency. I'm based in Los Angeles, California, and I've been yeah. focusing on, uh, pretty much indie beauty brands for uh, uh, throughout the most, most of my career. I, I did start out uh, kind of doing a lot of representation for brands between fashion um, and lifestyle. I did some books, uh, a little bit of entertainment, but I yeah. have been um, focusing primarily on beauty. I Prior to working as, in the PR industry, I was... Um, in the beauty um, editorial world. So I was a beauty editor um, for a teen magazine years back. Um, Which one was it? So it was called Jump Magazine. It's no longer, uh, surprise, surprise. Uh, But it was... At the time, it was owned by Weeder Publications, which is no longer, but that was Joe Weeder at the time. And he is the originator of uh, Muscle and Fitness and Shape Magazine. So we all worked in the editorial offices together and they were based in Woodland Hills, California. Um, Yeah. Uh, So, yeah. And even prior to that, you know, I was, um, uh, you know, one of my first gigs was at a college was writing for um, bought magazine. So I don't know if you remember like type, you know, there's tiger beat now, but like my first, you know, foray into editorial was literally like interviewing, um, the Backstreet Boys and Britney Spears and all those. Oh my gosh. So I started, (laughs) <laughs> yeah, childhood dreams, dude. This is so cool. Okay, really, yeah. I mean, I was like, you know, early twenties, and um, I don't think I really knew what hit me. It was just, it was awesome. It was really fun, you know. And I, I yeah. freelanced too a lot, so I got to do a lot of red carpet um, opportunities. I freelanced for Entertainment Weekly and um, Us Weekly. And I wrote a ton of, you know, just for freelancing wherever I could and interviewing lots of celebrities being in LA. So that was kind of like, you know, easy to do. Um, so I you love know, how you're just like, that was easy to do. No worries. <laughs> you know, I'm just a badass. It's easy. Uh, no, no. <laughs> it just, at the time it was like, you know, um, it sounds glamorous, but you know, when you're covering like parties for the red carpet for us weekly, or, you know, you're standing on the red carpet trying to interview people in front of a restaurant. Like, I think I did, um, 
vanity fair party a bunch of times and you're, you know, you're up till three, four in the morning and, um, you know, interviewing all these people, but it was fun at the time, you know, I was young and I, like, I totally dug it. And, um, so that's kind of like, you know, where I first kind of got into it. And then I kind of got into, you know, when I got into the jump magazine world, I got, you know, I automatically became this beauty editor and I was, uh, obviously writing about all kinds of products and testing all kinds of, you know, everything was coming in. Um, it was like Christmas every day. And this was, you know, 20 plus years ago. Um, and, um, you know, email was obviously a thing, but it isn't like it is now. And, um, right. How was it? How did you guys used to get pitches? Was it like by mail? It was my mail. We did get emails, <laughs> but we got a lot of mail. And I was on the phone a lot, you know, which was way different. Um, yeah. Now you're just like, you're on your computer all the time. So, yeah. um, you know, it kind of got me kind of really immersed in the beauty world. And I was writing the Beauty RX column. And so I was interviewing lots of derms and uh, wow. answering girls questions about, you know, what to use on their skin. And, um, and it was just, it was a great education into beauty. And so after a few years, I, um, I guess it just itched my entrepreneurial, uh, spirit within, I don't know. It just kind of like, I realized that I wanted to do, um, I wanted to actually kind of create something aside from the, you know, journalism journalist in me. I, and so, and I think it was also because of interviewing a lot of girls that were creating their own businesses. And so at one point I started my own hair accessories company and uh, I had no business background at all, but I knew the beauty world in terms of magazines and I knew how to write a press release because I had read 50 million of them. And so uh, <laughs> I ended up like going out, just was like, oh, I'm just going to start this hair accessories. Just total ignorance. Like I had no idea what I was doing, but um, having fun. And so, you know, one thing led to another and this company that I had called Rapstar took off. And so for like six years, it was um, sold in like 200 different, I don't know, stores around the country. I had reps. Holy crap. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was in Fred Siegel and Henry Bendel and, um, I was still freelancing at the time for like magazines. And so I would, uh, I was kind of just doing both and I would wear my hair accessories when I go out and do my interviews. And so like, I remember one time I was interviewing Beyonce before, like she was huge and she said, Oh, I really love your headband. (laughs) So I said, wow, I made it. And so then I sent her some and then I, and then like, I ended up telling the editor in style magazine and they put it in and I had 600 orders and it was amazing. Wow. um, (laughs) What a story. Yeah. It doesn't like happen that way anymore, (laughs) but I mean, um, you know, not a lot of people can say that you, you, you know, were able to interview Beyonce before and that's amazing. I'm sorry. I'm like starstruck. Like, wow. So cool. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it was phenomenal. Yeah. It was like I said, at the time, I think I was just so in it. I didn't really get it, but now that I'm looking back, I'm like, that was really kind of cool. But, um, so, you know, so then cut to, I, um, I mean, I'm totally rambling here, but I um, no, please I, continue. I, still, I knew the I knew the PR world, and I, I I had gotten married, and I started having my kids, and it was just um, you know it was getting a little difficult trying to continue to run a company, especially 
And I'm being totally honest at the time I had no business experience. So I was like, you know, producing like hundreds of different designs of these, of these headbands with no real sense of what a season was. And so my reps would be coming to me saying, okay, well, what else do you have for the next season? And I says, well, what do you mean? I said, I have 300 designs and they didn't buy these. Why don't they buy these this time? And so I'm like, all right, not turning out to be what I thought it was going to be. What do you mean? My headbands are like, cross-seasonal, dude. <laughs> yeah. So at the time I had a friend of mine who was starting her online um, business and it was, it was um, a vegan accessories brand at the time. And she was like one of the first to do something like that. And she came to me and asked me if I would help her with, with PR just because she knew that's what I knew and the beauty industry and accessories. And I, so I gave it a shot really like I never worked in a PR agency. And so I don't have that background, but um, I figured, let me see what I can do. And I ended up getting her, I remember getting like one of her purses in um, Elle magazine, I think. And so, you know, she was thrilled and I'm like, that was kind of fun. And then I just did it for a little while. And I realized, you know what, I'm just going to give it a shot. I've got two little kids at home and I still need to be doing something creative and in, you know, the realm of what I'm used to doing, but I, um, you know, this is something I can make my own and I can work as much or as, as little as I can. And so I started Charm PR and that was, um, over like 15 years ago. And so from that point, I just kept growing and just getting more clients and it was all really word of mouth. Um, I've never really had to like go out and, well, I mean, good work speaks for itself too. You know what I mean? Like just work that comes from a place of true, like just inspiration. And that's what it sounds like. Your whole journey sounds like you've really followed your gut. And I, and I love that. You know, I think that's truly the hallmark of like a successful, like person overall, not just a businesswoman or a businessman, you know? So that's, that's amazing. Please continue though. I just like, uh, cut, you, you know, cut it. I, I mean, thank you very much. Um, Yeah, I've been very fortunate to be able to work with incredible brands and great, um, you know, brand owners um, that really I feel like we make, you know, it's a real team effort. And I and I love working with smaller brands, which is 95 percent of what I've always done. And um, I have that real, I guess, just because I've I, you know, was a an entrepreneur out of, you know, and I do have that beauty background. So I feel I guess I have that I can empathize a lot with small brand owners when it's, when they're starting businesses, because I totally, I was there. So I get it and I understand what it takes and how expensive it can be and how hard it is, especially you might be really savvy in one aspect of business, but you don't know anything else about PR marketing. And for me, it was like, I knew all about PR, but I didn't know about fashion seasons apparently, but um, (laughs) so we all start somewhere, you know, so, um, so yeah. So, you know, so then, I've just, you know, for the last 15 years, I've been um, super fortunate to be um, working my butt off with all these great brands that I've been helping um, over the years. Uh, so, you know, tell, tell me some of them. I want to know about some. So, well, right now I'm working with this really cool uh, clean. I know I use the word clean, but it's it's an um, it's an EWG verified skincare and color cosmetics brand called Samoa, and they yeah. launched a little over three years ago and they're geared towards like uh, the generation Z and the young millennial market. Um, And it's a really great brand. They're available in Target, uh, CVS, uh, 
Walmart Canada, Amazon, and Liza Koshy, who is uh, the YouTube celebrity. She's uh, their brand ambassador. And the brand is all about really what I love about the brand so much is that they're really into the education of the brand and getting out to young girls about the importance of knowing what the ingredients are in the product they put on their skin at a young age and how it impacts their health. And so, which, well, you know, has definitely been the evolution over the last several years in beauty in general, but especially when you're targeting these young girls, cause you're getting them at their beauty um, journey from the very beginning. Right. So when you get them yeah. at that age and you teach them, you know, to use this, not this, then they know, and it takes them, you know, they can take that with them. Yeah. It's like, it's really is about, you know, changing the way a generation thinks, you know, that's very true. I I love that. And, you know, that's very inspirational work, honestly. So, I mean, is that really, when you pick your clients, like, is that something that, you know, like, what do you use as your benchmark? So, yeah, yeah. literally like the last few years, you know, obviously I want to work with somebody who's cool and and I get, you know, I don't want to work Jerks. Yeah. <laughs> obviously, we've all had our experiences with crazy clients. I could probably write a book um, about insanity, insane stories, like crazy stories. But um, um, so, and then this is going to take me into beautyology. So, I think really right. it actually even started with you know maybe a little bit before beauty with the with same why I should say, but just like the whole shift into clean, green, blue beauty, just sustainable uh, development and um, more thoughtful formulations that, you know, in the education aspect about it, um, because I did have another client prior to that for years and it was uh, not, it was not clean. It was full of chemicals. And um, I, I didn't actually, to be honest, I wasn't a hundred percent. I didn't get it in the very beginning. Cause I worked with them like this was eight, nine years ago. And so, but I guess as time went on, I started to really learn, you know, in, in educating the media and, and, and in light of what was going on in the world, I was learning myself and I was really waking up and thinking, you know what, this is not something I really want to align myself with because I don't feel good about it. At the end of the day, I wouldn't put it on myself and I don't want to be promoting this to the public and telling them to use it because I don't yeah I mean yeah at some point it's like you know the ethics and the gut you know gut intuition it really kicks in you know what I mean for people who have a vision and and you are driven by something deeper than just I need a job you know what I mean like something more meaningful I think that's something that's a it's a universal trait in individuals so you know I I can see why you would say that you know it's very very interesting indeed so I'm sorry, I interrupted. Okay. No, I mean, yeah, so to be completely transparent. Um, so when I started working with Samoa, it was it was just it was phenomenal. It was wonderful education for myself as well as you know, me being able to like get this information out into the public. Um, and so I love that. And so, you know, from that point on, I was just very, very particular with the kind of brands that I was gonna work with. And at one point, um, I worked with a, it was actually a documentary. It's not really a beauty brand, but it was called Toxic Beauty. And it was a documentary that came out a couple of years ago and it was Canadian. And it was basically this documentary that uh, this woman, Phyllis Ellis, put out um, about the Johnson & Johnson uh, case regarding talc and baby powder. and Oh, wow. Cancer. Yeah. And it was just riveting and I happened to see it and um, I just was blown away. And so I, I literally reached out to them and I said, is there any, you know, if there's anything 
I can do to help. You know, I yeah. work the same brand, name same one, and we're totally aligned with the same values. And you know, maybe there's some kind of collaboration we could do or whatever. And and you know, make a long story short, I ended up connecting with the producer of the film, and she brought me on to help kind of spread the word about the the, the documentary because they didn't have any PR in the United States. They yeah. So. Um, I was just like, this is so wonderful because for a while I was really feeling like I needed something more like a challenge. I wanted to do something better and fulfilling. And so I was just thrilled that they wanted me to come aboard. And so we got tremendous press. Um, We got an amazing stories. We got Vogue to cover it. We had Hollywood Reporter, Shape, you name it. I mean, like Harper's Bazaar. It was wonderful. Like we had so much media attention brought to this film that like no one would have known about before. And um, it really made waves in the industry so much so that like, you know, I think it was like a year ago, it was right when the pandemic happened. And so it was like, you know, I wonder if like they did it on purpose because nobody even heard about it, but like Johnson and Johnson, Mm -hmm. like took talc Latin products off the shelves in the United States because they were getting so much backlash. Wow. That's real change. It was really, uh, you know, interesting to see the power of, you know, the press and, and yeah, that's that's and- like really getting something done. I mean, truly, bravo! You know, this that's amazing, Robin. Like seriously, like that's well, you know, it, wasn't, that's- it wasn't really just me. But I, no, I know <laughs> it was a part of, part it, of it. Aspect of it, so that was really amazing. Thank you. Yeah. So, and at that point on, I, um, you know pandemic was about to happen, but we didn't know it. And I had, you know, this also sounds kind of, you know, silly, but I, um, I had always wanted to go to India. And so I, um, at this point, in my life, everyone should always I, should want um, to go to India. I am from India. And I are you really? Yeah. Yes, I didn't know that. Really? Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Where are you from in India? I'm from Haryana. My family is from Haryana, which is not Punjab, by the way. I just want to make that. Yeah. So it's, it's North, North India, very North. Oh my God. Girl, I did not know. So (laughs) anyway, to make a long story short, I took like this amazing trip in March. Right. And uh, something I'd always wanted to do. And I also was like, part of it was just like, I need to get away. I need to clear my head. I need to figure out like, what's my next, you know, step here. Cause I just don't know if I want to keep going and promoting all this consumerism and I just I've been doing it for so long and the 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 PR world has dramatically changed over the last you know it's very fast-paced as you know and it's just it can be super stressful and um it's just ever-changing and evolving and like I never want I never had like this big agency I never wanted to so I kind of like run everything I wear all my, all the hats. I have a couple of girls that help me here and there with stuff, but it's, it's me. And so, um, yeah. you know, I just was like, okay, what else can I do? You know, I need to figure this out. Cause I am not, I am not happy. And I, um, want to, you know, I feel like I have learned a lot in this industry and I want to be able to figure out what can I do that I really feel passionate about. And so, um, when I, you know, I kind of went on this trip and then, um, it's not like, you know, oh, it just, it didn't all like come at me at once, but I feel like I had this like idea when I was there and it felt like something happened. And I know it sounds super cheesy because everyone who says, oh, you go to India and you get enlightened and you, you know, you oh, come. isn't this, yeah. I mean, seriously, it's like the movie, right? Uh, like yeah. Love or something, but something yeah. happened where I'm like, I was meant to get away. I was meant, you know, cause everyone needs to just like get clarity. out. Of the you need clarity. Yeah. 
dexterity and I, I didn't have it. And so this was like the first trip I was able to go and be like a totally like autonomous human being without my kids, without my husband. No one was telling me to, you know, make them a sandwich or wash their clothes or do their dishes. Or, I mean, it was like, I don't know. I don't even want to, I didn't want to come home, but no, it, yeah, I mean, you know, what's interesting. I'm just going to like, you know, fun fact, but like back in the day, like in India and you know, I, it's interesting. You mentioned like people think of that, like you go to India and you get enlightened, but I think it's the vibe because back in the day, like when there were Kings and stuff there, the princes would take these, like, you know, like they would leave their home and go out into the wilderness for years, like seven, eight years. So like this whole idea of like getting away is kind of in that country. So I, I can see why, you know what I mean? I just wanted to like mention that because I think like, you know, somewhere like that, it brings you peace. It makes you see real humanity. You know what I mean? You see humanity. Yeah. 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 And uh, even though my trip was cut short because the country was literally shutting down because of coronavirus and I had to flee literally five days before I was supposed to come home, (laughs) um, I still had an amazing experience. And so when I came home, I realized, you know, this is what I want to do. I want to create some kind of a site where I am able to, you know, use my knowledge of the beauty industry and PR and brands and stories, but do it in a way that really kind of touches upon, like you said, the humanity behind uh, the industry. And the fact that like, there's obviously it's just, and being a publicist, and also I should mention, I know this, I'm digressing, but, um, you know, I still do some freelance writing for online magazines. And so I do receive, so I am kind of like teetering on both ends where I receive a lot of press releases from Ed, from other publicists regarding their brands. And I'm constantly pitching in the press too. So I yeah. see all the brands coming in and I, you know, so it's just, it's double exposure. I, it's like so overwhelming. The beauty industry is so huge and everyone is launching a new brand every five yeah. seconds. Seems like. Yeah. And so I'm like, the world totally does not need another beauty brand. I don't care what anyone says. Um, Everyone's got these like compelling there. stories. You know what I mean? Like these like reasons and I'm, I'm all, I always get caught up. <laughs> well, I mean, that's good. You know, that's that's good marketing and that's yeah. what it takes yeah. to get people to pay attention. And it's really hard because there's so much of it. And so these editors, you know, there's, only so many of them and they can only retain so much and see so much. So it's, I get it. It's hard for them to be able to differentiate between what would be a great, you know, product and what wouldn't, and especially when they're smaller indie brands, they don't have the financial back end to be able to really, you know, sometimes make the splash that a lot of these bigger brands get to do. So it's hard. So, um, so beautyology kind of, it started off as a blog that I was just writing, um, you know, when I came back and I was still working ferociously with my brands, I thought everyone was going to like collapse because of the pandemic, but that is totally not obviously what happened in the beauty industry. Uh, yeah, I, I know the beauty industry like flourished. Like it was, it was insane. I was like, Oh my God, I'm going to get fired. Everyone's going to fire me. I'm not, I don't know what I'm going to do. And then I'm like, you're not going to fire me. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, I think it's work from home. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and I, yeah. So, you know, that was, you know, it was still, it was still a busy time, even though, you know, I was, I, you know, home, everyone's home, but um, so yeah. So beautyology turned into a blog and then I was just, like I said, was writing and, and reaching out and just, you know, doing some research on things that I was really interested in. And I started really, um, 
kind of coming across the same stories over and over again that I found to be super interesting to me. And this was through a lot of it was on Instagram and it was a lot of small beauty brands that were formulated with ingredients that, you know, they would say they would talk about fair trade and they would really get into like the ethical transparent supply chain of how they worked and how they formulated these brands and who these people were that they actually worked with um, in the various you know, developing countries around the world that they, who they were actually sourcing these ingredients. And I thought it was super interesting because in the way, you know, for most part, the beauty industry is all about, you know, obviously ingredients is a huge thing. And everyone talks about, oh, this ingredient is great for this and that and the other and this is clean and it's not toxic. Yeah. But like, where is it coming from? And like, who is, you know, who's the, who's the human being behind it that's actually, you know, like sourcing the ingredient and right. how are they being treated? And, and like, you know, are you, are they being treated well? Are they, you know, because just the questions that I just didn't have the answers to, but when I started finding some of these other brands, I was fascinated because you, I got to learn about, you know, different people in, Peru that, you know, were being ethically, they were being, you know, they were getting compensated by fair wages and they were being treated humanely and they were creating this amazing brand and they all work together. And, and it's all about, you know, s- sustaining and, and, and saving the rainforest. But at the end of the day, they're being able to, you know, make enough money, just like you are, you know, you or I would make enough money who want to be able to like pay our rent and, and right. go dinner on a Friday night or send our kids to school. Like, these things that we take for granted when we get paid, you know, we call it a minimum wage or whatever our salary is, but like minimum wages in other parts of the world are not sometimes take you anywhere. So, you know, you've kind of call it, you know, like, well, what's a fair wage and how do you figure that out? And so a lot of these brands were doing that and they were then showing the, um, you know, like the outcome, well, this, you know, because of so-and-so was able to work for our brand, he's now, you know, able to build a house and provide for his family. So these kinds of stories I was just Mm. getting more interested in. And then it brought me back to one of my very first clients um, that I've worked on and off with since like for over 10 years. And that is the fabulous Rahama Wright from Shea Yolini, which I'm going to connect you with. You got to talk to her. She is from Shailene, which is a um, shea butter brand, and she, she's based in um, on the East Coast. She is she's been doing this for since she got out of college. She went to um, she was in the Peace Corps, and then she went to Ghana. Oh, wow. and she just she ended up creating a cooperative for women in a certain part of Ghana where they are able to where they source the shea nuts off the shea trees and she saw a total disconnect where they would you know get the the seeds and then they would ship them off to these major corporations in the states that would then turn them into butter and put them in their ingredients but they were she was seeing that they had these women that you know were you know collecting these seeds they weren't actually given the opportunity to um do the labor making these these seeds into butter, which is a whole job and a labor initiative on its own. And so because of that, she was, she's been, now she's working with over 800 women and, and she's able to give them, you know, not even living wages, but five times the living wage in in Ghana. And these women are flourishing and they're starting their own businesses. And that is real work. And, you know, it's phenomenal. So like that, it brought me back to that. And I thought, you know what, this is amazing. And this is what she was fighting for all these years ago. And like, but it's 
the world. It's not just happening in Ghana. It's happening in all the developing countries. It's happening in 90% of the world. Yeah. yeah. Like it's, it's literally like, you know, we mentioned India earlier and it's like, you know, I tell people all the time, you know, I was born in India and I saw like, you know, I was old enough when I, before I came over to the States where I saw my grandparents living in a village, you know, in the rural India, I saw, you know, living off of land, literally, like you don't have extra belongings. You have, you know, my father had one suit and you know what he used to do? He used to go to the tailor and buy more fabric and elongate it from high school all the way through the end of graduate school. So, you know, I've seen that, you know what I mean? I've, I've seen what you're talking about. And it's a really big problem because the governments of these countries are also tied in with the money stream. You know what I mean? So it's like there's no representation really for these like small communities of people that are being, you know, like utilized in this whole industry. So I I, I love, oh my God, I love everything you're saying. Mm, thank you. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I think especially now more than ever, and obviously you hear all of these, you know, everyone left and right's coming out. Oh, this is my pandemic project and this, that, and the other. And everyone's like, when, you know, they went in and they like tried to, um, you know, what, you know, figure out like, what is, you know, what's truly important to me. And, and obviously this time gave that to a lot of people and, you know, I'm one of them, but I really feel like, you know, um, we're also, we all, you know, we've all like literally live in a bubble and especially this last year, we were literally all living in our own, you know, apartments or whatever we, you know, houses. And so, you know, not yeah. a lot of people know what's going on. We're not like the most, like, you know, in the United States, I feel like maybe more so than in other parts of the world, but like, we're really into like the United States. <laughs> like we don't, a lot of people well, don't yeah, know, know what's going bubble. on in other parts of the world. And, yeah. you know, when you go and you see these things firsthand, it's really eye-opening and it's really, you know, it makes, it made me really want to, you know, try to change something here and try to, you know, educate people more in like, you know, this is really happening and, you know, it is crazy. And yeah, I did go to India and, and I did, you know, see this and there are, you know, millions of poor people living in huts and, and they do work and they live under floors and they work 17 hours a day and they make this much money and it's horrible. And this is yeah. why, you know, so, yeah. um, you know, this is not a new conversation by any means, especially in the fashion industry as like lately more, I think it was like a few weeks ago, it was like fashion revolution week. And it was the anniversary of the collapse of the Rana Plaza. And so, you know, everyone's, you know, the whole slow fashion movement is huge and being transparent with like, you know, who's making your garments and how they're being treated and all that stuff. So, you know, I feel yeah. this is definitely that same idea, but it's, it's for the beauty industry. And, yeah. I, you know, um, and so I, you know, having not, I haven't seen a lot of this conversation or heard of this conversation so much um, in the media. And so that's kind of what sparked me to then turn beautyology into this e-commerce site where I was, um, you know, I really wanted to kind of create a destination online where like all of these like-minded brands with the same mission could yeah. um, all kind of come together under this one um, umbrella, I guess, and then, you know, be able to illuminate these stories too about the brands and the brand owners and how they came, you know, how they got their inspiration to start and do what they do. And then also, you know, even diving deeper into highlighting stories about the people they work with in different parts of the world and, you know, the success stories for these, these individuals so that, you know, when you go to buy your next 
you know, cream or shampoo or whatever, you think for five seconds and you go, wait, where's my money going towards? Yeah, exactly. Is it going to help somebody or is it just going to go back into the corporate, you know, pockets of P&G or, you know, whatever, you know? So that's what I'm trying to create here with beautyology. <laughs> so really you're in the business of spreading knowledge. That's what you do. Yeah. You spread uh, awareness and knowledge. I'm trying. Yeah. Yes. I mean, yes. So now I'm like, you know, trying to now, you know, and obviously I wanted to create a, a you know, some type of a revenue stream here with beautyology for myself, obviously, but with also all of these brands and then the people that work with the brands. And so to yeah. you know make them prosper further and, and be able to really, you know, help these people all over the world. I mean, each brand that I have has a really unique and different story. And um, one of the things that I really wanted to create with Beautyology is not just have, you know, a bunch of brands all from the same region. And so um, yeah. I started, I just launched it. And so I have about 16 brands right now, and I have another five or six that I'm going to be adding to the site shortly. And I'm really excited to say that they are from def, you know, different parts of the world. So I've got, you know, brands from Guatemala, um, and I have, you know, obviously brands from Africa and South Africa, Bangladesh and Sri Lanka, Morocco. Um, so they all have different ingredients and they all tell a different story and, um, you know, and they all kind of connect with, um, you know, people in these, in these developing countries in, uh, different ways as well. For instance, I work with this soap brand called 700 rivers and, um, The woman who runs it is based in the United States. She's of uh, background is from Bangladesh and she um, works directly with women in uh, Bangladesh and helps them get out of the sex trade and is able to give employment through the soap company. And because of that, you know, it's, she's really powerful. And she, and I found her again, I found her in this, I found her on social media and um, you know, I just fell, I was just, drawn to her story and how she's, um, you know, been uh, able to take this dream of hers and make it a reality by giving employment to, um, you know, a group of women in Bangladesh. And um, so, you know, that's just one story. So, um, I mean, you know, you make such an interesting point too, because this whole time I've been thinking, you know, women everywhere, it's a, it's a global phenomenon where women are naturally drawn to beauty. What woman doesn't want to be involved in some way with, you know, a beauty product, whether it's trying it or making it or harvesting something for it, like that, that feeling that we all, the way that we all connect as women with this idea of beauty is there globally. So when you have, you know, groups of people who are involved in, for example, like the harvesting of the shade nuts, you know, they're, they're still women that are probably curious, where is this going to go? And also, you know, why take away from the culture where you're harvesting from? You know, it, it, for me, it's like, it's not just about like telling people where the, these ingredients came from. Like you said, I think I'm echoing what you said, but it's mm-hmm. important to understand how would the people of that, like that land and, and nation um, process this ingredient, you know what I mean? And like preserving that culture. And I think that could also really lead to a lot of, you know, 
just monetarily, like making sure that, you know, if they're involved, if people get involved and you inspire them, they're going to do better work. You know, it's going to expand you as a company. So I, I love everything that you've explained. I just think that, you know, there's very, very few people doing it, you know? So, I mean, more power to you. That, that thing, it's, <laughs> it's beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I want to ask you a question though. I want to ask you um, in terms of, you know, with these brands that you work with, have you ever had a situation where, you know, they've approached you and they, they want your advice? Like, how can we give back? You know, what, what can we do? Have you had anything like that happen? Um, yeah, you know, it's interesting. Obviously, that's such a huge part of PR in general, especially when and it's, um, you know, more and more brands now um, are getting have already realized that there has to be some type of a give back initiative, especially if you're launching a new brand. Like if you don't have something tied to your brand, then you're just hurting yourself in the long run. Um, whatever it is, I mean, you try to make it authentic as possible, whether it's, you know, you're an LGBTQ brand and you want to give back to your community or you are all about cruelty-free products and you want to work directly or, you know, give part of your proceeds to some kind of an animal conservation. Um, you know, whatever yeah. it is, I think, you know, you need to have something Um tied to your brand so that people make, so you feel like there's, you know, some humanity behind it, but um, you know, obviously brands and I've had brands that I've worked with for years and they didn't really have anything specific. And so, you know, the typical PR strategy is to always tie something to something for a particular upcoming holiday or some kind of an event that, you know, is going to be a huge media hit. And so, um, you know, you've heard it a million times. It can be called greenwashing or pinkwashing or whatever. It's like, yeah. You know, like, oh, breast cancer awareness in October, you know, like if you are not a brand that really is into breast cancer awareness, but you have something pink, well, then like, let's, you know, I know yeah. this, this doesn't sound like the greatest thing in the world, but people do it all the time. And I've done it for my clients, you know, let's connect with like a great uh, charity that we feel strongly about that, like, is, you know, willing and wanting to work with, you know, the brand. And then, you know, let's try to do some media promotion where we like offer or maybe we create a brand a product, you know, specifically for this initiative. And then we decide we want to give like a percentage of the proceeds to their cause, you know, right, so, right. You know a lot of brands do that. Um they, you know, some brands do it because that's how they truly feel. And there's, you know, and they might have, you know, let's say, you know, breast cancer survivors, they run the business or they know people in their, you know, in their lives or their families that's been affected by the disease. And so they want to, you know, do something to give back. You know, unfortunately, there's a lot of brands that just decide to do something like that just because they want to get more press and they want to make money. And that's exactly, see, sell. that's what I want to just like, you know, right I there. can't, yeah, I, I just... Listen, can I be honest? I won't do it anymore. I won't. I just physically can't press the return button on my keyboard anymore. So I'm like, well, it's just at one point it becomes like it turns from like inspirational to just complete BS. I'm sorry, but like that's the truth of it, you know? That's the thing. No, I was just going to say, like, you know, that's the thing, like for me, you know, just with this podcast, it's like skin cancer awareness month or it was or something. Right. And I was like, I made it a point to say it should be skin cancer awareness year every freaking year. Like, I don't need to like post a thing to say, hey, yeah, I'm I'm behind. Of course, I'm behind it. 
you as a brand, you should be behind anything that's humanitarian, you know, and, and good. Like that should just be in your DNA. And if it's not, and if you're having to think about what you can do to benefit the world and you're, you're really thinking hard on it and it's not coming together, then you need to think about why you, what are, what are you doing as a human being? You know what I mean? Like, what is your purpose? And I, I feel very strongly about that. I think brands just don't have, like, there's no excuse anymore to not do something impactful and meaningful. Now, amen, girl. It's true. It really yeah. is. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, there are, there's millions of brands that are coming out every day and they, uh, they do have these amazing initiatives and they're, you know, and it's wonderful. Yeah. It's also overwhelming too, to try to be able to differentiate between all of them. And so, you know, yeah. for me, at least with beautyology, I kind of try to, to pick my lane and stay in it. Cause I know that I can veer off and, and easily kind of get sidetracked because there is so much involved. It's not just, you know, um, you know, ethically sourcing these ingredients and taking care of the people that work for you. But, you know, that you could go off on sustainable packaging and recyclability and, you know, making sure that you are cruelty-free and are you vegan and are you, you know, how are you taking care of the environment? And there's so many, and there's so many brands and there's so many sites, you know, there's all these amazing beauty sites out there about clean beauty and sustainability. You've got your credo, you've got your detox market falling. It goes on and on and on and on. It doesn't end. So, you know, for me, I'm like, there's, I don't want to compete with all these other big, huge brands. Cause I'm, I'm me, I'm one person. I'm totally transparent. This is my company. I have no funding. I'm doing this all on my own. And, yeah. um, out of the pure passion that I have for beauty, but also that I have for, uh, you know, the principles of fair trade and w- what that means. And, um, and so, you know, if I want, I just want to stick to that and hopefully uh, people will will come and find it eventually um, and who you know share this this ideology and this mission that you know the purpose of beautyology which is to just you know inspire conscious beauty lovers um, and you know and human beings that understand I mean Robin you really did go to India and gain enlightenment I mean honestly like you're one (laughs) of the few people I've spoken to that really gets it I know I honestly I mean this is huge and it's not just something I know you speak of it like you know you're do you do it day in and day out but you know for everyone listening out there like you really should gain some inspiration here because honestly if you're not doing something like that's really meaningful I mean it just, it makes, it's a moot point to make money because what, what is the purpose of it? So I love what you're doing. And I think it's beyond just, you know, a podcast or anything. It's, it's really good work. So I truly, you know, very, very well done, you know, from just a person who wasn't born in America. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, thank yeah. you. I mean, I can't tell you how much that means to me. I really, it's awesome. So yeah. Yeah. Well, this has been amazing, Robin, and everyone listening, go to beautyology.com and really check out the site. Um, I'm, by, by the way, you're coming back on the show. I'm, I'm just telling you right now, <laughs> like, I'm going to bug you all the time. Like, you know, so it's, I, I want to talk more about this and I want everybody to really get in on this conversation because it's really, you know, probably one of the most meaningful things I've, I've heard in this space. So anyways, um, you know, I hope you guys liked the episode, leave some comments, leave some questions, and I'll be back next time. Thank you so much, Robin. Thank you so much for having me.